Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians? This Sunday is the first of two that will be about an overview of the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at uh, specifically a negative application from the book of 2 Corinthians and then a positive application of the book of 2 Corinthians next Sunday. But those positive and negative applications flow out of these fundamental truths, which is sort of the, the premise of the book of 2 Corinthians, which is that Satan is after the church, but that God is with the church. Satan is after the church, which is why this is the fourth letter that Paul has written to the Corinthian church. But God is with the church, which is why this is the fourth letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. We talked about this many months ago with Corinthians. Like, why is Paul still bothering with this congregation? They're a, they're a pain in the, in the divine triune keister. And why is he still interacting with them at this, with this focus and this care? Well, it's because God is with them. And God wants to be present in Corinth through this church. So Satan is after the church, but God is with the church. And, and Corinthians talks a little bit about some of the ways that Satan is after the church. It talks about in chapter 2, verse 11, uh, these designs that Satan has for the church. He says, we're not ignorant of his schemes. We, know he, we don't want to be ignorant of his designs that, that uh, Satan is applying to the Corinthian church in order to break them up and make them disunified. And then in chapter 12, verse 7, Paul talks about a, a messenger from Satan who, has been, who is afflicting him personally. But probably the main thing is here in chapter 11. Look at chapter 11. This is the main thing that Satan is using to afflict the Corinthian church. Chapter 11, verse 4, he says, If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted... Now, who is this someone who is coming to do this? If we look down to verse 13... Paul says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So Satan is after the church, and his primary tool is disguised apostles bringing a different gospel. Disguised as apostles of Christ, disguised as servants of righteousness. Now, I don't think that these guys are, are consciously partnering with Satan for the destruction of the work of Christ on earth, but they're unwitting tools of Satan to that end. As I look through the book of 2 Corinthians, I kind of think, okay, what is this whole book about? There's really three commands that come up in this book, which is interesting. There's, there's not a lot of commands you think there'd be a lot of like, do this and don't do that. But there's really only three. And the first two are kind of worked together and they, they appear at different times in different places, especially in, verse, in, in chapter six. Uh, open your heart to us, Paul says to the Corinthian church. Give us your affection. Open your heart to us and come away from them. Come away and be separate from them. So these false teachers and false apostles, come away from them and open your heart to us. And the other command is the one that we're going to be focusing on here because it comes at the very end. And it was in Mike's excellent reading of that extended passage. Uh, chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And test yourselves. 
Now this coming at the end of the book kind of functions as a, a little bit of a summary command. What are we supposed to do with everything you just taught us, Paul? What's, what does he want the Corinthian church to do now that they're closing the letter, rolling up the scroll, and then looking at each other in this awkward silence? Right? What, what are we supposed to do? Examine yourselves. Now, isn't the problem those guys? Right? We, we just got done saying that that's really the big problem, is these false teachers and these false apostles. Isn't the problem just those guys and not us? I think Paul would say, well, no, the, the real problem is your hearts. The real problem is you're, not, you're opening your hearts to them. You're not opening your hearts to us. You're opening your hearts to a different gospel. You're not opening your heart to the real gospel. You're opening your heart to a different spirit, not the real spirit. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he calls the Corinthian church to examine the things that are pulling them away from the true faith. Now just think about that word examine for a second. What are things that you have to examine? You have to examine things that are not obvious. Right? So here's what this means. It means that Satan is influencing the church in non-obvious ways. Now, maybe that's an obvious thing to say. <laughs> right? Satan is influencing the church in non-obvious ways. Right? He's not like, hey, guys, you need to stop worshiping Jesus. Let's start worshiping Satan. Come on, who's with me? And we're like that, like, that would be an obvious way. And we would say, that's not really going to get a lot of traction here. But Satan wants to influence the church. He doesn't want you to stop talking, about uh, stop talking about Jesus. He doesn't want you to stop talking about the gospel. So we still use the word Jesus. And we still use the word gospel. And we still, use, we still talk about the spirit. And we still do things that look like ministry. But it's not the same, Paul says. It's a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. Satan's okay with that. He knows he's on dangerous ground whenever he's talking about Jesus and whenever he's using the word. But it's better than the real thing for him. So 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses some key areas of non-obvious satanic influence on the Corinthian church. And so he, when he calls them to examine themselves, he's saying, examine yourselves with reference to these key areas. So we're going to look at those key areas from 2 Corinthians today, and I think that it's going to have continued uh, application and relevance to us as well. So the first of these things is to examine your gospel. We just read in chapter 11, verse 4, you've received a different gospel. What is the real gospel? Well, the real gospel, the gospel that is real and powerful, is the gospel that comes to us through Jesus' sufferings, in our sufferings, and spreads and bears fruit through our sufferings. It comes to us in the message of the cross. It comes to us in our places of suffering, and it spreads through our sufferings. We, we're not super comfortable with talking about sufferings. So we like to hear about Jesus' glory. The disciples were notorious for this. Is now, are you, now are you going to bring the kingdom? And Jesus says, you know, listen, I'm going to go suffer and die. The Son of Man is going to suffer and die. And Peter pulls him aside. You can't talk this way. You're bumming everybody out. We're not comfortable with that part of the gospel message. We want to talk about his resurrection, his victory, how he's there working for us and answering all our prayers. We don't want, God's, we don't want the gospel in our sufferings. We want it to get us out of our sufferings. We want the message that Jesus is the victorious king and he's going to rescue you from all your sufferings and he's going to display his glory in the world through your victory and your strength and your glory as well. 
That's what I would like it to say. That's not what the real and true gospel says. And there are gospels, quote-unquote, there are ministries, quote-unquote, that functionally remove that message from the gospel. Or they overemphasize the, the, the parts of it that we naturally like. They overemphasize it so much that it's, it's like it, those parts don't exist. The cross doesn't exist. They might have a, a beautiful cross somewhere in the building, but it's not central to the message that they preach. And so Paul would say, listen, it's, it's not the real gospel. It's not the true gospel. And if it's not the real and true gospel, you know what it doesn't have? It doesn't have power. It doesn't have power. It is not going to have the power that we look to God in the gospel for. Because, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God's power is made perfect, where? In weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay so that the surpassing greatness of the power might be seen to be of God. And the God of all comfort comforts us in our afflictions. So God's power is going to be displayed and is going to work through in sufferings. Not just over them. God is not interested in rescuing Paul from this thorn in the flesh. He's not interested in delivering the Corinthian church from all of the, the problems that they're going to experience being in this Roman outpost. But he is interested in helping them in their sufferings and displaying his glory in, his, in their sufferings. So the first thing that we need to examine is to examine, they need to examine their gospel. The second thing is to examine the spirit of their ministers. And this is really what the whole of chapter 3 is about. The whole of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians is all about the spirit and about your ministers. Our, what kind of ministers are we? Do we have letters of recommendation? No, we have the spirit. What kind of spirit do we have? So Paul is wrestling in chapter 3 with this question. And he wants them to examine the spirit of their ministers. So ministers of the true spirit of God, ministers whom the true spirit uses, they point to Jesus Christ. They point to Christ. They point sufferers to Christ. They speak Christ to our hearts. Through their work, this is how you can tell, through their work, you will feel drawn to Jesus. You will feel drawn to worship Jesus, to appreciate His significance and His relevance for your life more than you had before. You will not necessarily be drawn into yourself to, to discover the needs that you've been suppressing and, and to come to fulfill your goals. That's not what you will come to. And you won't necessarily be drawn into their cause or their agenda or their particular, their particular thing. You will be drawn simultaneously in the opposite direction of both of those things. Not to be a, a part of their team and, and join to their project. You will be, Paul says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You will come into a different sense of, of freedom, of, of doing what God has made you to do. Simultaneous to that, you will be, Paul says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all are being transformed into the image of Jesus by the Spirit. So we're going to be coming more and more drawn to and submitted to and more like Jesus. And by that, becoming more and more free. So they point us to Jesus Christ they rely on the Spirit, right? Ministers whom the Spirit is in, they rely on the Spirit. 
So they don't, they don't tell us to help ourselves and then God will help you. Right? You just need more faith and then God will help you. You just need to pray more and then God will do these things. You just need to do more and then maybe God will help you out. What they do is they point to what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what the Spirit of God is at work in our lives to do. Because that's how real transformation comes about, is through the Spirit and through the work of Jesus. The last thing, ministers whom the Spirit uses love the church. So Paul really wants the Corinthians to think, hey, what do the... What is the relationship of these, these ministers or these ministries to the local church? As we just talked about, Satan's design on the local church in 2 Corinthians is primarily involving these teachers or leaders who look really good. So it is an inescapable fact of this book that kind of the whole book hovers around the subject of affiliation. Who are we affiliated with? Who are we letting into our lives to lead us? And who are we partnering with to help their ministry? And the the subject of our affiliation really matters because, first of all, our discipleship matters. Right? Christ wants us to be his. That's what discipleship is. Jesus saying, be mine. Be my people. Don't you, what does Paul say in chapter 13, verse 5? Don't you realize this about yourself, that Christ is in you? Jesus wants us for himself. So who we affiliate affects our discipleship. Our affiliation also matters because our mission matters. Again, Christ is saying to us, you matter. I want you to be with me in this work. I want you to be with me. Right? The God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So God wants us to join with him. Christ wants us to join with him, to, to let that light shine. What is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, he says, we have that treasure. So our affiliation really matters because our discipleship matters and our mission matters. Satan is after us, but God is with us. So examine your gospel, your ministers, examine your mission. That would be the next thing that Paul deals with here. Chapters 7, uh, chapter 7, 8, 9 are all about this. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 are all about examining your mission, what God has called you to participate in. And in chapter 5, Paul calls the Corinthian church, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's, that's a great summary of our mission. Ambassadors for Christ. So the work that we are employed in doing is to serve the ministry of reconciliation, to spread grace. These are all, all, all phrases Paul uses in 2 Corinthians. To serve the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile people to Jesus, to spread grace so that more and more people know the truth about our God, and to increase gratitude. So more and more people, and this is probably the best test of any ministry admission, are more and more people thankful to Jesus because of what we did. 
This is our mission. You know what is the biggest danger to this mission? Other things that seem good. Right? So, big culture war we got going on here. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. Right? There's a culture war. There's all sorts of political action. There's, there's global politics. There's a whole world full of dire needs. And, and they are hard to argue against, right? Because they seem both re- really important and they can easily be made really biblical. But the question is, are they spreading the good news of God's grace? And are, as a result, more people more grateful for Jesus because of this? Uh, We should be involved in all of these things, but let's not forget what our mission is. Our mission, the controlling, limiting, boundering factor in all that we do is to reconcile people with Christ as we communicate His grace to them, and so they come to a place where they're thankful to God for Jesus, thanks to our work. So this is what our ministry is, and here's how our ministry should be done. Our mission should be characterized by suffering and generosity both. And this is kind of an interesting thing to consider, because typically, at least in my experience, these don't appear together in people. Right? I don't know if you've noticed this. So, in a, in a lot of cases, people are willing to suffer in ministry, right? If you get involved in a ministry, you are going to be suffering at some point, right? You're going to be like, oh, is today that, right? Or I've got to organize this, and people are saying to me, oh, is today that, right? So on either side of that, you're like, ah, ministry is suffering. But what I found is that people who suffer in ministry, but then they become ungenerous. Just this last week, I heard a story about uh, a guy who was a lifelong, decades-long uh, minister in a big, uh, faithful organization, right, serving at a high level, I mean, blessing, writing, speaking, blessing, mentoring, tons of people. And now the organization that he's involved in is suing him because it comes out that he was, uh, people were donating stuff and he was siphoning it off. Right, so he's got artwork in his house. He's got taxidermy and people donating firearms, you know, so you know it's a Southern institution. Uh, people donating this kind of stuff. And he's got, now he's got a 501c3 and he's trying to get donors who used to donate to that and donate to his little thing. And he's, where does that come from? Where, all of these things that we, we've heard so much about, where does that come from? It comes from people who are willing to suffer, but they don't, but they, they, that's it. And then on the other hand, you've got people who are willing to be generous. Right? They're willing to write whatever check you need for that thing, but they just don't want to be involved at all. Don't want any, to get any of the messy there. Right? But what the Spirit is leading us towards, our ministry is characterized by this. One of the, the most fabulous verses in 2 Corinthians. And, and 2 Corinthians is, is wall-to-wall fabulous verses. But I love this one. Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Spend and be spent. I'll spend, be generous, I'll be spent, I'll suffer. This is, this is gospel ministry. And then the last thing to examine in 2 Corinthians is to examine your life. To examine your life. So the Corinthian church was characterized throughout 1 and 2 Corinthians by a sense of pride, 
a sense of superiority. Do we think we're superior to other people? Are we superior to people here? Are we superior to people out there? Right? A sense of superiority is at fundamental odds with the message of grace that we have received and live by. We are those who needed and received grace. We are superior to no one in this regard. But the Corinthian church was characterized by an attitude of superiority. They were also characterized by sins. Second Corinthians, interestingly, is almost uh, empty of talking about specific sins. Until we get to the very end of the book, chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality that they practiced. The Corinthian church was characterized by sins like anger and conflict and lust. And I think it's interesting that these are at the end of the book and they're at the end of the sermon today because these are really the fruit, right? These kind of sins display the values of the Corinthian church's heart. And those values, our values, are shaped by teachers, leaders, voices, influences in our head. And their message shapes our values. And the goals and what, we, what they put before us that we aspire to, what, what we desire, shapes our values. And so the presence of these sins here and the presence of these sins in anyone's life really indicates problems with our gospel, with what we think the message is. Problems with our leaders and problems with what they're calling us to which are ultimately, of course, problems of the heart, which is why Paul says, examine. Examine yourselves. So, we're taking this week to talk about the, the big negative application of 2 Corinthians, which is examine yourselves. Because, by and large, 2 Corinthians is kind of a negative book, right? It's, it's not like Philippians, which is all about love and joy. This is a very like, kind of critical and, and anguished and sorrowful book. It's a kind of a negative book. And the primary application of this negative book is, is kind of a negative-vibed application, which is you need to examine yourself and test yourself. Because Satan is after the local church. Satan is after the local church. God is with the local church. But Satan is after the local church because the local church really matters. The local church really matters. God wants to work everywhere, right? He wants the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea. He wants the earth to be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his grace. And so he has decided to work here in our lives, in our places, through us. And so for that reason, because of these stakes, we need to periodically consider 
the non-obvious ways that Satan is attempting to influence us and our church. Now, the book of 2 Corinthians, the, the whole Corinthian saga is like a big shipwreck. It's just, it's just a mess. Right? Sometimes, church, sometimes our lives and sometimes church can feel like a big shipwreck. I just finished reading a book about shipwreck divers. Really extraordinary stuff. And one, one of the lines that they said in there caught my attention. They said, a shipwreck gives a person limitless opportunity to know himself if only he cares to find out. Like you're put in such a, a fraught situation that you come to discover what you're really, who you really are and what's going on inside you. That's a little bit like what Paul is saying to the Corinthians now. He's saying, this is a dicey situation. Satan is after you. God is with you. You've got all these divisions and sins. You've got all these false teachers. It, now's the time to slow down and consider your faith and your heart, your relationship with the Lord, with the gospel, and with the, what the Lord is calling you to. So periodically, we need to consider the non-obvious ways that Satan is attempting to influence us and our church. Let us not be... Let's not be naive about this. Satan wants to keep your neighbors and mine from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan wants to keep our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends and family from seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we are the ones who have that treasure. We are the ones who have that treasure. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We don't love the admonition to examine ourselves and test ourselves. We are not over eager to take a close look at the gospel we believe or the ministers who are serving us or the mission we're involved in or even our own lives. And for that reason, Satan with his schemes and designs can come into those spaces and twist them, affect them, and hamper the work that you want to do in our lives and through us. And so we pray, Lord, that the encouragement that Paul gives to the Corinthian church, the call that he lays on them at the end of this letter to examine and test themselves, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be mindful of that, to be willing to slow down from time to time, and to consider, to consider these things, to consider the non-obvious ways that perhaps we are being affected, and that rather than the world seeing your treasure and your great power in our lives, they're not. And so we ask, Lord, that you would let this word dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name, amen.